0: Welcome
1: to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up.
0: One of the things we regularly talk about on the podcast, besides our crushing anxiety and inability to get organised around writing a will, is bras.
1: Yes, so how quickly I take them off when I get home at night. You know, sometimes I ring the bell instead of using my key so I can start unclipping. And what to do about Annabelle's huge boobs? I mean, you name it.
0: Yes, my huge unruly boobs. So, a lingerie and swimwear brand called Beja London got in touch and said they'd like to work with us because they are all about making women feel happy and confident in their bodies. They are a woman-owned, woman-designed brand who pride themselves on their amazing fit. And
1: guess what? It turns out that I love their fuss-free modern vibe and they're so comfortable, I knew something was different when I realised it was 10pm and I hadn't felt the need to take my bra off.
0: And for me, they are strong on the support without sacrificing the sexy. Imagine that. And the knickers are pretty and also comfy. I'm wearing matching sets for the first time in my life.
1: So we are delighted that this week the podcast is sponsored by Beija London. That's B-E-I-J-A London. Visit beija.london for a look at their beautiful modern classics from a double A up to a 36 H. They also offer a free 20-minute online bra fitting if you're unsure about your size.
0: And they are also giving I'm Absolutely Fine listeners a 15% discount. Just enter the Midult at checkout.
1: Beige London, bras for all the lives you lead and all the women you are. Hi, I'm Emily and I'm absolutely fine, but I lost my voice yesterday, which was quite an unnerving experience. And Annabelle immediately put me on Madonna voice rest and I was banned from speaking. And actually... It was an extremely, like, it was both unbelievably stressful and also incredibly liberating not being able to speak. (laughs) I know that sounds mad. But it was really annoying not being able to voice the little things like, don't do that, or can you pass me this, or whatever. The little tiny instructions we deliver all day or that we expect to be understood straight immediately and it's a bore to write down, stop, (laughs) or whatever. But I had a really difficult conversation with my husband about something I was really worried about it and I did it on notes and actually I wrote down everything that I was worried about and sort of handed it to him but and I was both in the room communicating but I was also had the completeness of my thoughts put down so there was no kind of worry about constructing with my voice. And in fact then we ended up having a very constructive I'm doing discussion in air quotes about my worries. And actually it was incredibly releasing and it was so strange because one is always you know so especially with all the therapy I've had and all the talking that we do about how we feel and actually sometimes talking about feelings is incredibly difficult and actually writing them down while you're sitting next to the person that you're communicating with is incredibly good so there you go who knew there you go so if anybody wants to like try this new approach use notes communicate and uh and you just get to say the whole thing I suppose is the thing Anyway, so there you go. Very modern. How are you, Annabelle?
0: I love that you're so obedient. I said, OK, you can't talk now. And then you <laughs> did not open your mouth for the rest of the day. It's like what I said to you 15 years ago in a meeting, which was being like swivel-eyed, deranged. I said, have you had coffee? And she said, yeah, yeah, I did have a cup of coffee. I went, you can never drink coffee again. And?
1: 15 years <laughs> later, I'm still coffee... Sober. I've so, oh, well. got to be careful about these edicts that I can pile <laughs> onto you. Um, and I literally didn't speak to, for like sixteen hours. We'll listen to you now. I know. Look at that. Perfect. I mean, it is a bit husky, but I'm 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 going to run with it.
0: Um, I'm Annabelle, and I'm absolutely fine. But I cannot remember a time when I didn't worry about my body and my shape and my size all day, every day. And I really, really mean every minute of every day. It's pervaded everything I do every decision I make, my mood, how I feel. I mean, you know, the the shame and worry and panic. And it's not something that I talk about because it, you know, frankly, first of all, it makes me feel more ashamed because of the world that we live in. And secondly, because if I'm talking about something else, I'm not thinking about this. So, you know, we wondered, listeners, how do you feel about your body? Can you celebrate its wondrous function? Do you high five yourself every time you are able to tie your own shoelaces or carry something heavy or dance a merry jig? Um, Do you admire your favourite bits and also embrace your other bits? Are you happy with your size and shape or do you often see yourself as a before picture? If only I were thinner, more toned, if only I had bigger, smaller, perkier boobs. Um, If you are as seasoned as we are, then you will have run the daily gamut of diet culture for years possibly most of your life. Um, It's a permanent Hunger Games, where we just dodge the weight loss spectacle. Poisoned arrows flying around in the form of happiness threatening, well actually life threatening, obsession with thinness and with food. Step forward, our guest today, Alex Light, who is at the front line of this battle, which began when she realized that societal body pressure was making her ill and miserable. She's now hugely influential in helping people separate reality from the airbrushed patriarchal diet pressure that makes so many of us hate ourselves. She is inspirational in her dedication to promoting body confidence and self-acceptance by talking about her own eating disorder struggles and pointing out the dangerous hypocrisies and downright lies in the media and fashion world surrounding women's bodies. She has a number one podcast with the brilliant M. Clarkson called Should I Delete That? And now she's written a brilliant book, You Are Not a Before Picture. Frankly, Emily and I are a little bit obsessed with her, so we are delighted to have her here. Alex, how are you? Oh my God, what an intro. <laughs> Do you know
2: what? I'm going to like record that intro and play it as I wake up in the morning, just like... <laughs> We're your hype women. Yeah, you are. Stop me off on a good note. That's amazing. I'm Alex, I'm absolutely fine, but I think I've come to the realisation that my dog prefers my husband to me, (laughs) and it is causing me some emotional and psychological distress, (laughs) and that distress is making me further distressed because why am I distressed that my dog prefers my husband to me? So there you go.
0: I think that's perfectly understandable. Now, are you sitting with the uncomfortable feelings or are you secretly bribing the dog? Are you trying to manipulate the dog? Are you trying to make yourself more lovable for the dog? I am doing my best. I'm doing my all. (laughs)
2: I'm doing everything in my power to try and make this dog like me more. I mean, I am feeding her like... We call it canapes like i i have my meal and then i give her little dip snippets of mine and i said would you like a canopy, like madam and give the dog a little um, and for some reason she just gravitates towards him instead so there we go I, I have such a hard
1: relate to that. When we first got our dog, I, I sort of had to deal with the idea that I was the third most loved person in, <laughs> yeah. in family by, by my husband, my daughter, and then, and then me. But actually, since working from home has come, I've actually, I'm winning. Oh, sli-
0: Alex, does it make you slightly hate your husband? <laughs> yes, because he
2: he, he he feels it as well. I can see when they were cuddled up on the couch together last night, I could see him giving me sly, smug looks. I was like, I, I see it, I get it, it okay. <laughs> so it's a bit fractious at the moment all of the relationships
0: in this house well also <laughs> you're promoting this book and promoting a book is is, is sort of yeah. more exhausting than writing the book and what a book so I mean I almost got the sense that from from you know engaging with all the stuff that you do for for years now which is brilliant please follow Alex on Instagram it just makes oh. you feel a lot better about everything um I got the feeling that you got yourself well and you got yourself some perspective and then you got angry yes is that sort of sort of the way that it went approximately?
2: Yes, I think it was more i don't think it was quite as linear as that I think you know what it's it's I find it really difficult to create a um an, a, a nice tidy you know chronological like a timeline of my recovery because it feels like it was so all over the place, and I actually try and lean into that because I feel like. I feel like a lot of what we hear and see and read around recovery from eating disorders, disordered eating, you know, dieting, ditching dieting and and bad body image is like, oh, I had this problem and then learned this. And then I got better. And that, in reality, yeah, very tidy. it's very tidy, very linear. And that's just not how it works. That's not how recovery works. And I didn't know that before my recovery. And so I went in with this expectation that and it was just basically another standard that I set for myself that I wasn't meeting. But to answer your question, I think I got angry, but wasn't necessarily better while I was angry and, and, and galvanized, I guess, into action by learning about diet culture, but I still wasn't well and I still wasn't recovered but that was definitely a huge like hugely pivotal learning about diet culture and getting angry about it was hugely pivotal for me in getting better
0: Mm. I mean it's it's so everywhere Mm. that I almost feel like you know you know in a way I've got a friend who was a heroin addict and came out of rehab and Mm. said listen all I have to do is never take drugs again the ones I feel sorry for are the foodies right because you still have to engage with everything and also to try and reposition yourself and your self-image in a healthy way. I almost feel like if I were to achieve this, and I'm not physically ill, but I do, I worry about this all the time, I'd have to separate myself from the entire world. Right. How do you begin and
2: this is, oh my God, this is the thing. And when I, was, when I was going through therapy, which I was very lucky to have access to, I remember crying to my therapist and saying, I wish my problem was drugs or I wish my problem was gambling. And I don't, I don't mean that now. I know that, that that is a very reductive way of looking at it. But the idea that I could just banish something from my life completely felt like it would be much easier to recover from. And the, the idea that I had to continue eating but somehow fix my relationship with food while continuing to eat every day, multiple times a day, just felt so overwhelming. And 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 this is this is the problem as well. But this is also why diet culture is so widespread and so uh, lucrative, such a lucrative business and so thriving. I think it's like 192.2 billion dollar industry. And that's why, because we have to eat and we have to. You know, we have to eat multiple times a day. And so there's lots of opportunities to to profit off of that. Um, yeah, to make us feel bad about it, exactly. Right. But endlessly. also, it's, a,
0: it's everything that we see, isn't it? I, I was looking at one of the um, influencers that you recommended in your book. Mm. And she did a series about women we thought were fat, but were actually beautiful. Right. That Kate Winslet, we, when she did Titanic, ravishing, was called Kate Ways a Lot. That Jessica yes. Simpson was laughed out of town for being you know looking back a hundred percent you know ravishing and healthy right so um you know where where do you where does one look in order to start to see things and to see ourselves differently
2: where do you start very very good question and one thing to note is I think it's brilliant how much access we have to resources now whereas 10 years ago we just didn't we had one narrative and one path to go down and that was diet culture thinness got to be thin, no other choice, or at least got to strive to be thin. Whereas now we do have alternative narratives, which is great and a lot of resources. Um, and I think for me, it's a, I, I would suggest, and what was vital for me in my recovery was number one, to desensitize ourselves to images of normal bodies, because we have had one type of beauty thrown at us and shoved in our face for all of our lives. And that image is a very, very slim white woman, tanned and toned, I'm saying that in air quotes. And it becomes so that when we start to see other, when, when we start to see images of bodies that don't look like that, it's a shock. I remember initially when I first curated my feed and started to follow people of all different shapes and sizes. And it was, it was a genuinely a shock to see these women and to see their bodies and to see them... To see their bodies in a context that wasn't, this is my before picture, Um, I'm on this weight loss diet, you know, it was like, no, this is my body. And like, it is what it is. And that's great. And it was like, really shocking to me. But it didn't take long for me to become desensitized to that. And once you become desensitized to it, and once you start to see bodies of all different shapes and sizes in this positive context... You then start to be able to see the beauty in those bodies, whereas before it just felt like, oh, but they just—they don't look beautiful because we. This looks beautiful. This standard of beauty, like that's what's beautiful, and once then you start to see the beauty in those bodies, you're much more. You're in a much better place to be able to see the beauty in your own body. Then, but I think this has to be paired with, in in my opinion with um education education educating yourself around why we want to be thin in the first place because we're not born hating our bodies we're not born wanting to be thin it's not innate you know i think for the longest time we thought oh it's just a it's just it's just a thing like women just want to be thin like we're just we're just born wanting to be thin absolutely not true it's conditioning which is proven by how beauty standards differ across the world so I think learning why we want to be thin, why we we've, we've been fed the idea that we have to be thin, which is diet culture, of course, which is a thriving industry. I think that is really important because that also gives you a chance then to rebel. You know, we don't want to line the pockets of these people who are profiting off our insecurities. Actually, no, we know what's best for us and for our bodies and why are we going to spend our lives and spend so much valuable time and energy and headspace and all of it and potential just on this eternal quest to change our to fight our reality and change our genetics and our DNA it's just it's just madness
0: because if you think back to when you were still entrenched in this you know before you were diagnosed with with anorexia I mean it must did it take up When you talk about time and energy, like a lot of time and energy with less energy because you were eating less, presumably.
2: I mean, it was it was all consuming. I remember hearing someone say that it was like a mental prison and that's exactly how it felt like. And there was not much that existed outside of that of that prison. And it was absolutely all consuming. Everything I thought about zapped me of all energy, all Headspace for anything else, anything around, anything other than food and how my body looked, and my career really suffered as a result. My social life suffered as a result. I was, you know, irritable and. And the relationships, yeah, my relationships just weren't in a good place at all. And I think anyone who is a chronic dieter, which is someone that, you know, goes from diet to diet to diet in the hope of finding the diet, you know, the one that the the miraculous one that's going to solve all their problems. I think anyone who is a chronic dieter will be able to relate to this because when you're on diet and when you're restricting food, it does take over your whole life and you have to stay noted at certain social situations and you have to monitor everything you're eating and do grueling sessions at the gym five days a week and it just it takes over your life and the sad thing is at the end of the day for what and when I was when I asked myself that question I really didn't know the answer I really couldn't get to a an answer that wasn't that didn't feel very arbitrary, you know? It just, for what? No, and at the times
1: that I've been thinnest, yeah. as it were, I've yeah. been craziest or most miserable. I mean, it's literally, there's never been a point where, where it's all got, like exactly like you said the key to the magic kingdom has opened and you've stepped in and, and then you will just, you know, hit your ideal whatever. It's so, it's so toxic. I and don't invasive know. And any,
0: so, I don't know a single woman who's been happiest at their thinnest. No. Even though their thinnest has, for almost all of us, felt like a victory, always mad and incredibly unhappy. And and also, as this is all going on, don't you find echoing through your brain was all the stuff that people said to you when you were a child or a teenager? These little throwaway comments. You can forget entire years, entire summers. You can forget teachers. You can forget grandparents. You can forget all right. sorts of things that happen when you're a child. And yet I can think on, you know, on one hand, five throwaway comments that were made to me between the ages of, I don't know, nine and 17. And, uh, and they're burned on my brain. Absolutely. And people don't
2: realize just how detrimental these comments are to our well-being, and just how much they stick with us and stay with us. I, you're so right. I think I remember probably like five, no more than that, Things that, like, aunties and parents and, and you know, random people say to you. And, and that's why... And other school
0: children actually. And,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're getting... And, and the thing is, like, it's not their fault either. It's, and it's not, you know, everyone is a victim of diet culture. A lot of those things are just projections of that person's own insecurities and own issues. But, God, the education for parents especially, I think, needs to be so much they're just there ne- well there needs to be some education to parents around body image and how not to talk about your own body around your children and your children's bodies because it's just it's so toxic and so damaging and you just don't know the harm you're causing
0: I mean just weighing all these children against this yeah. toxic measure which you talk about in your book and I'd love to ask you about now of BMI yes oh um at my thinnest and maddest and most miserable which was maybe I don't know eight or ten years ago I remember I posed as a playboy bunny for a magazine and wrote a story about it I mean I was really I was at the gym five times a week I'd broken up with the man I was going to marry I was deranged I was very thin and at that point when I looked you know as as thin as I've ever looked um I was on the scales definitely overweight in terms of my BMI and I just thought you know where is there to go
2: (laughs) right right oh my god BMI I mean I think that is one of the main topic that's in my DMs on a daily basis because we live in this well our healthcare system is centered around this weight normative approach where weight seems to be the key to healthiness and I find it so unbelievable that we are still in that place with despite all the evidence we have I mean there's a study that's proven that people in the overweight category are likely to live longer than those in the healthy category and yet it's just not questioned i mean it is being more so questioned now in the medical system but for the longest time it's just gone completely unquestioned and if you are not in the healthy in the healthy category you're not healthy which is just so 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 inaccurate you cannot the see Because
0: the healthy category is narrow jesus it's, it's narrow, narrow isn't it mm.
2: but also do you remember
1: Annabelle when when we when I found the lump in my breast and we went to the to see the doctor at um, the hospital yes and and he said I see you know he's a sort of older gentleman probably mid-60s definitely and uh, and he said I see you're keeping yourself nice and slim and healthy and I was just like how do you I'm here because I found a lump in my breast what are you talking about surely that's such a strange kind of Like thing to say to to a woman who's just about to take her clothes off in front of you. Well, there's blame.
0: You see, there's blame. If you weren't keeping yourself, which is a nice 50s, keeping yourself tidy, keeping yourself nice and slim and healthy, then would that lump be your fault? And also, would Mm. anyone even examine you for anything before they sent you home for six months to try and? You talk about that that in your book, Alex. Is that you know, fat people's health problems get ignored and dismissed?
2: Right, and weight stigma is way more detrimental to people's health than what they weigh. (laughs) <laughs> which yeah, exactly. is just so ironic and the thing that none of this takes into consideration is the fact that we are we are all completely different shapes and sizes and some people are bigger some people have a bigger frame have a bigger size and the bmi doesn't even take into account bone density or composition of your body it's just it's so reductive and yet people are treated based on whether they are in the healthy category or not and people for example on allowed access to ivf because of because of their BMI and it's uh, or, or certain medications that are allowed to have because of, because of their BMI. And it's, it, it's just so, I mean, health is, I mean, health is so nuanced and so multi, you know, faceted and, and it's very difficult to sort of even pin down a definition of health, but it encompasses so much more than where you land on a, on a scale that was never meant for individual use it was it was devised as a means to to find an average on a on a population level across an entire population it was never meant for individual use and yet here we are 70 years later I think it was yeah 70 odd years later still using that scale to determine someone's health it's yes averages aren't helpful are they and
1: on top of that we're victims of trend as well in terms of you know I mean Annabelle and I've lived through so now in our mid forties, forty-seven, whatever. So we've lived through kind of heroin chic. We've yeah. lived through um, through the kind of athleticism of the eighties. When we you know, were fifteen,
0: there was nothing worse, nothing more sort of shameful than having a big bum. People right. would say, "Oh, she's really, you know, she's really pretty. She's got a really big bum." Like that was a killer fact. That was over for her. Yeah. She had a big bum, and look where we are now. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, no, and we're not, and we we're,
1: we're shifting out of that now which is causing all sorts of issue as well where like the fuck is- are we going where the fuck are we going again? And yeah. it's really interesting, actually, because a friend of mine, her daughter's dual heritage, and she's 13, and she can see the inconsistencies of the messages be- that are aimed at black girls and at white girls. So it's white girls, you're supposed to be thin, black girls are supposed to be curvy, and then and then somewhere in, you know, sometimes the trends is for is for kind of white, cur- I mean, it's sort of mad. She's, and she's, her, you know, like I said, she's dual heritage, and she's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to, and the right. answer is obviously nothing. You're supposed to be you. Yeah. And be beautiful in your beautiful way. but right. Oh, my God. And
2: that's the scary thing is that the goalposts are always shifting. <laughs> and we can never win. Like you said, I, do you remember that book, Does My Bum Look Big In This? And that was, like, the phrase yeah. at the time, wasn't it? Like, oh, does my bum look big in this? Like, hope it doesn't. And then,
0: fast forward what, then 20 years. And then it was, years. does my bum look big enough in this? <laughs>
2: exactly, right. And, yeah. and now, after, 10 years after the that, when now the... The, the people who pioneered that trend, the Kardashians pioneered the, the big bum trend, are now having their BBLs reversed. Mm. And they don't want that anymore. That's not their look anymore. So that's not going to be the trend anymore. It's like, how can we ever win? We, we just can't ever keep up. There is... no, It's forever shifting, forever changing. Beauty trends come and go. And yet we spend our lives chasing them. And that's really scary. And... At the root of this, as well, like what underpins all of this is it's a it's a brilliant tool of the patriarchy to keep women obedient, silent, busy. You know, we 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 got our heads down. You know, trying to stay slim or to, to match or you know, to live up to this trend or that trend, and it keeps us very quiet and obedient and doesn't allow us to go out and achieve what we should be. So that's what's particularly insidious about about beauty trends and body trends and standards. Yeah, I agree. Hungry women can't be activists, right? <laughs> because <Yeah>. they're tired. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, There's this sort of... An amazing quote that you can't smash the patriarchy on an empty stomach, and I can't remember who it is. I think it's Christy Harrison, who's a dietitian. She says, yeah, you can't, you can't go out and smash the patriarchy on an empty stomach, which I love.
0: I love that, absolutely. Yeah. When you talk about diet culture, what exactly do you mean? So
2: diet culture basically means the idea, the myth, that thinness is the best thing that a human can achieve and that thinness is going to be the key to, it's going to unlock your happiness, your it's going to make you desirable, successful, uh, lovable and, and, and happy. And it's the idea that we need to spend our lives trying to achieve that. But and, and no matter the costs, no matter the, the repercussions, or, you know, no matter the means.
0: I mean, you think about the absurd sense of victory that we all feel if we fit somehow into a smaller size. Right. <laughs> you know, reducing ourselves is definitely, definitely the goal right
1: um i absolutely love a reel you did in early august i think it is where you're like how did i how did i get this look you said and it, and then you size up right. and you're suddenly so comfortable and it's like this fits and it doesn't yeah.
2: and it's like yes how did God. i go from
0: this you know squeeze <laughs> yes. to this elegant and beautiful i bought a bigger size
2: right and, and actually like we, it, it's so true we spend our lives wanting to be a smaller size like Oh, you know, you can't be above a 12 and it starts to get into like bad territory. Again, air quotes. I always say this on the podcast because I'm like, I need people to know that I'm saying this in air quotes. But like, what does a size mean? Like, what does it actually mean? And people say, you know, cut out the labels in your clothes. I'm like, yes, if that is initially going to make you feel better, then yes. But also... You don't need to cut out the label on your clothes. Whatever size you are, whatever size you're taking is absolutely fine. There is nothing wrong with it. There is nothing to be ashamed about. No size. There should be no say- shame around any size. And it's only because we have this stupid diet culture belief that you have to be as small as possible and to, to women need to shrink themselves and be the smallest version of themselves. That's the only reason that we feel shame around, around certain sizes, around sizing up, when actually it just means... It doesn't mean anything,
1: and you know it doesn't it, mean anything. It I agree. Exactly
2: the same as sizing down, you know. And mm. it's like with weight loss and weight gain; they're both inherent parts of being a human, and they're both just normal parts of living our lives. And sometimes we gain weight, and sometimes we lose weight, and and yet and we're always neutral. congratulated,
0: aren't we? Right? For losing weight. weight loss is you look ha- yes. Have you lost weight? You look amazing. Well done. Right,
2: and it, and it feels good to get that compliment. Mm. you know and and a lot of us are guilty as well oh my god the amount of times I've said to people in the past like you look amazing like have you lost weight you definitely lost weight haven't you and this is actually really divisive whenever I talk about this because people say why shouldn't I be able to say that because it is a um um, an achievement when you've lost weight but that only serves to perpetuate the narrative then that that being smaller is better and it's just not Mm.
0: And now what we have, of course, is, um, you know, it was all very well in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, keep yourself slim, yeah. you know, for your man, for your self-respect, <laughs> you know, keep yourself, you know, slender.
2: But Ooh, now, She's let herself
0: go, yeah. Let, but now you're not even seeing what you're seeing, as in filters. So M Clarkson did a brilliant reel a couple of days ago where she said she stood there in leggings and a bra top and said, this is me, but... I can make my waist smaller, I can make my boobs, it was all happening in real time, I can make yeah. my boobs bigger, make my legs thinner, I can change my shoulders so they're bonier. And I can move around like an avatar. You know, it's, not just, it's not even airbrushing of stills anymore. I can, I can show you a body that I don't even own and you will never know. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Now you guys know that we're not shy about getting things off our chest. The tiny inconveniences that can ruin our days to the big overwhelming worries that can flood our nights. Trouble is, we all got into the habit of saying, I'm absolutely fine. Emily and I added the but, specifically to get off autopilot and give ourselves the space to say what we were really experiencing.
1: But we weren't always so free with our inner furies. A few years ago, I began experiencing debilitating panic attacks because I felt I couldn't tell anyone all the things that I was feeling, that I was not coping, that I felt like a failure. I was so ashamed. So I kept it all bottled inside. And of course, it started leaking out. It was only when I found a therapist and began sharing those doubts and insecurities with her
0: that the panic began to dissipate. Because therapy can be a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists any for no additional charge.
1: With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise and our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com/midalt
0: that's better h e l p.com/midalt betterhelp because sometimes the best thing to do is acknowledge that we are not in fact absolutely fine yeah. so we're being 100% gaslit totally by what we choose to interact with totally yeah
2: and and it's blurring the lines of reality which is really scary and it's creating into
0: into princess jasmine from aladdin with her two (laughs) centimeter waist and her you know improbable bosoms you know and
2: And, and that's the thing it's like it's just it's creating barbie who
1: could shouldn't be able to stand up sorry like if she was an actual woman anyway but yeah she wouldn't be
2: able to walk right yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So yeah.
2: <laughs> great. Here she is, kids. Play with her. Is, anyway, yes. And some of the content that we see on Instagram, people are almost at that stage where they look like they have Barbie proportions, which is so scary. But it, but it is blurring the lines of reality and creating a standard, an ideal, that is not just like completely un- unobtainable. It's like, it's unrealistic because, it's, because it is literally not real. And that is the scary things. And we are, I mean, humans are hardwired... For comparison we go through our lives and also comparison is drummed into us as well it's really reiterated and throughout our lives but then social media is just like an absolute breeding ground for comparison and then we're seeing these flawless images by society standards and it's it's creating this really extra toxic comparison that we just can't ever live up to and it's really it's it's horrifying and it's scary and I think What I, I was talking to someone who has a daughter who's 16, and she said that her daughter, when she sees images that aren't edited, that are completely authentic and haven't been touched, it actually comes as a shock to her because she's so used to seeing flawless content that she's like, oh, wow. Oh, that's how people actually look. And that is so I mean, that's amazing. But also when you t- when you go on for example
1: TikTok immediately if you're going to film there is a filter on you
2: yeah,
0: there yeah. is
1: an op- you you have to turn off a filters why why would anybody I know. people immediately then log on and go oh I look great Because yes, <laughs> like, we're you know, all
0: too disgusting to be seen in our natural state yeah
1: yeah exactly but it's just automatically filtered so you just why would you then reverse it because yeah. i mean obviously one should but you know you're tempted you're like oh okay I look great
0: I think you can to keep that yeah. You mentioned, yeah. Alex, you mentioned earlier that when you, were, you, were stu- you, you when you went into started recovery, one of the things you did was to curate your feed. Yes. So did you get a little bit more careful about what you looked at?
2: Totally, totally, because I was only following... What did you look at? Well, I, I was following people that I thought were my motivation and they were inspirational and I was going, that, that that's what I'm going to look like if I keep going and if I keep losing weight or if I try and fix this or if I try and get rid of my cellulite or try and thin my waist I'm going to look like that and that's my inspiration that's my motivation that's going to keep me going and I only followed people who upheld the the society standard of beauty and it just made me really really miserable because I was seeing and I I didn't even take into account that the content I was consuming on there as well was edited that didn't even cross my mind you know with, I, I think as a whole like humans were not we, we don't automatically engage critical thinking and we don't necessarily... Well, I think when
0: people watch porn, they don't necessarily think, oh, that woman was gaffer taped to a radiator 15 minutes ago and doesn't right. want to be there at all. Right, exactly. You know, I think I think that, that, that what you want to see overrides the reality of what might be happening. Right, exactly. Even if we watch an actor... Who watch Top Gun? We don't yeah. think, oh, well, you know, this is, you know, CGI and simulated and, you know. Right, we take it at
2: face value. Mm. And that was... Um, And so, yeah, it was it was it was having a genuinely further detrimental effect on my body image, which was already through the floor. And when I started to curate my feed and like I said, I went through that period of desensitization where I was shocked. And then as I came out of that and started to then, yeah, see the and I remember a real light bulb moment, a really pivotal moment was thinking, God, that woman looks good. And then thinking, oh, wow, that woman kind of looks like me. (laughs) Her body is really not too dissimilar to mine. So why can I think that she looks good? But when I look at myself and my own body, why do I think it's disgusting? Like, why do I want to crawl out of my own skin? Why do I think I just look horrible? And I couldn't, there was no answer to that. Because there isn't an answer to that. It's just an internal bias and and the way we talk to ourselves and our inner critic. And that was really pivotal because I was like, that is proving to me that that my body image, my negative body image is a problem with my mind, not my body. It's not how my body looks. It's how my mind perceives how my body looks. And that is a fantastic realization because you don't need to change your body in order to change how you feel about your body. And that is so powerful. Like now I'm, I'm like one of the biggest I've ever been. And like, I'm certainly a lot 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 heavier um, than i i used to be and i'm the happiest i've ever been so like make that makes sense in diet culture's eyes you know it doesn't it doesn't make sense because i'm supposed to be miserable i'm supposed to be on a constant diet and trying to change my body and yet it's entirely the opposite so i think that is hugely important to create your feed to include people of all different shapes and sizes and races and genders and just to see uh to be met with a genuine cross-section of society rather than looking at a permanent 90s billboard ad,
0: you know? Can you recommend some good people to follow Good Places to Look?
2: Yes. Curvy Naomi is amazing. Uh, Body Image with Brie, Beauty Redefined, Anti-Diet Riot Club. Um, Sean Lord is amazing. Full Body
0: Becca. Um... that's enough to get started that's enough to get started have a good old perv over those yeah and and then and and then and then you and, and then you talk in your book about being straight sized which you are and I think I am which is sort of not necessarily plus size yeah do you get pushback about the stuff that you're talking about because they're like well you don't know because you're not really body positive because you're not really big enough to talk about this.
2: Totally, and to an extent, they they have a point in that. At the root of all of this is fat phobia, which is just so rampant in our society, and so I mean, it's so ubiquitous, and we have this huge fear of fatness, and that is it's you know, and, and fat phobia as well is just it's so casual, and people say you know it's, it's one of the last forms of oppression. And comedians use it as jokes all the time. It's in TV shows as like the fat person is always the one bears the brunt of the joke and fat phobia and diet culture are well they they like rely on one another obviously and so I guess it's difficult for me to talk about fat phobia and discrimination based on body size when I've never experienced it so that's one of my limitations, obviously, like I just mm. you know um so. The only thing that I can do is try and fight against it and try and call it out when I see it and try and help or try and amplify voices of those who have experienced it to work out what we can do uh, because it's it's within it's within everyone's interest for fat phobia to be dismantled and and to be eradicated from our society It's within all of our interests because then diet culture would die. Because you know, if we if we aren't scared of being fat, if we don't have this fear of fatness, then and I
0: think the thing is, is some people, if they're sufficiently sort of entrenched, would think, well, if diet culture dies, then everybody will get incredibly, dangerously, morbidly, horrifically, you know, life-threateningly, can't leave your house, obese. That's is, not going to happen.
2: No, not at all. And oh god, I I find this so funny. This like not funny that's reductive but I just I I find it wild this this narrative that oh body positivity and and getting rid of diet culture will mean that we all get fat and it's it's just not the case as if like we all have this leash around us yes it's a metaphorical girdle exactly
0: yes exactly and the moment they say it's okay to be who you are we'll be like bring me every pie we want
2: all the eclairs right right and it's just it's so not true because actually, I mean, 95% of diets don't work. That's a, a statistic that has been challenged, but actually has been also been upheld. 95% of diets don't work, and actually a huge percentage of those diets result in weight gain. And there was a study um, with twins and identical twins, and they follow these identical twins, uh, where whereby one twin spent a portion of their lives dieting and the other didn't, and the one that did diet ended up I think it was like five kilograms heavier on average than the other twin because dieting and restriction of our food and what we're eating it results in this biological human very human biological response which is a backlash to that which is you know I need to get food I've been deprived I've been restricted I need to get food and so a lot of us end up heavier through dieting
0: but it's not just i think uh, uh, you know in doubling down on a food obsession i think also it's quite easy to fuck up your metabolism
2: exactly that as well
0: so you know if you in- put it into starvation mode it's going to want to it's going to want to hold on to as much as possible
2: right so there is no science at all behind saying that if we ditch dieting we're going to put on weight it's just not true um, and actually it would improve our health because mental health is such a huge part of health and it would release this, you know, prison that we're all, that we're all trapped in. And the, the pressure yeah. on women's shoulders, you know, particularly
0: to yeah.
2: look a certain way.
0: I mean, if you think of the misery that it's caused, a yeah. huge percentage of, of the population. I wonder when we'll start to see a, more, um, a, a better cross-section of body shape on, on our screens. I know there have been one or two things. There was that great comedy series about that girl looking for love and she was plus size. Oh, shrill. Sort of, Star. Oh. Shrill. Sure. So that I can think of that. Yeah. I think of Amy Schumer, who isn't skinny writing and directing her own material. I think of Melissa McCarthy being yeah. really, really funny, but not, you know, a leading lady, really, in a romantic sense. Right. I, I, wonder, I mean, it, you, you still can't really see it. You, yes, it could, I mean, the magazine editors are, are, are sort of, I mean, are they paying lip service, or are they believing it? Who knows? But it's starting to be reflected across fashion more. Yeah. But film and TV, and the,
1: No. Emma Thompson's really interesting about this because obviously her film Good Luck to You, Leo Grande is such a big thing about women's body acceptance, but she's in her sixties, and um, and it's about how to gain pleasure from your, your your for yourself on for your body and not have that sort of imposition. And um, and there's this incredible scene where she takes her clothes off at the end, and or she takes her clothes off quite a lot in the in the thing. But she's talking about her career and how she was never. A kind of classic leading lady because she was never fit she never fit into the sort of acceptable Hollywood kind of look and she said on an interview and I listened she's like you have no idea how thin these girls are these actresses these stars they're sort of and it's sort of it's so weird that we would worship these ghosts you know it's a sort of it seems so like so depressingly self-harming and I mean that's what it all is in the end ultimately if you don't accept yourself and you don't can't you know if you say to yourself I'm not going to go out I'm not going to get into the water today because I don't want anybody to see me in a swimsuit I don't want to go out you know it's so depressing
2: actually ultimately it's incredibly sad it's so sad and and it's sad it's sad for us only seeing those actresses on on tv who and, and on screen who were who are so thin, but sad for them as well. You know, yeah, so awful. sad that they—that's their. You know, that has to be their preoccupation in life is to stay a certain size. Otherwise, they can't work. It's just, yeah, it's and and the 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 thing is the thing that I find so unbelievable as well is that that's not what the consumer actually wants. Like with advertising, we don't want to see thin people. With, e- with e-commerce and seeing, you know, when ASOS model their clothes. We don't want to see it modelled on a typical model. We don't want that because that's not we want to. We want to see it modelled on people who look like us, and then we get a better idea of what we're going to look like in the clothes. But why we're in a place where everything, all advertising features only thin, thin women? It's well, just, I think
0: it was. I think it was. It was Karl Lagerfeld. You know, with you know, it had a, had, a, had a fat yeah. phobia. here eventually. The idea was, if we put our clothes on bigger models. The clothes will look bad. Yeah, but it's not about the clothes. It's about us looking good, not the clothes looking good.
2: Right. Exactly.
0: If You want the clothes to look the way the clothes were intended to look? Then you put them on a literal coat hanger. Yes. Not <laughs> a walking one. Exactly. Um, and you know, you think of you know, you know, in, as when we were growing up in our in our teens and. Twenties. It was Fat Monica on Friends in a fat suit. Yeah, Shallow Hell, Gwyneth. Shallow Hell. Shallow Hell, Gwyneth shallow. Paltrow in a fat suit. There was a yeah. lot of fat suit action. Totally.
2: And and back on that point as well about clothes. And the only reason that we think clothes look better on thin women, that's just conditioning. You know, mm. it's just because we haven't seen. Clothes modelled yes. on bigger waves. How would we know? Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's completely
1: absurd. Yeah. It's it's so destructive. And I do think it was interesting for me the other day, a girlfriend of mine, when it was so hot um during the heat wave, and I was wearing a kind I was basically wearing a kind of bra and a pair of shorts, and I thought, oh god, I can't go out. it's so hot, I can't go out like this. And a girlfriend of mine was like, you know what? When you're 50, when you're 55, you're not going to look back and go, I'm really sad about the time that I went I out in a crop top <laughs> and a pair of shorts. You're going to be like, look at me striding out into the world, wearing whatever the fuck I want, feeling right. how I want. Right. What is wrong with us that we just, right. we, you know, we let this sort of thing toxify our moments to such an extent and we know it, now you know you're so right anyway your book's so important. Yeah that what is, you it's basically do on Instagram the, is so important. The most flattering
0: thing is whatever the fuck you want to wear. Exactly. Whatever the fuck Yes, exactly. And effect, I, have, I find it difficult to get dressed every single morning because nothing looks the way I think it should look. Right, every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At forty, I mean that's that's it. it, it it's mad. It's mad. And um, but yeah. also,
1: you know, you look sensational to me. You are the epitome of everything that is chic, sophisticated, energized, interesting. You are yeah. so vibrant, and you look so wonderful. So you know.
0: Oh, Done. well, thank it's so you. It's so true. Uh, yeah. No, but it is, it is this kind of mental prison. And, you know, and I'm not ill with it, but, you know, Alex, you got ill with it, and many people do. And mm. I, so I was just flicking through your book earlier, and you were saying, you know, a lot of women in their 50s and 60s think that it's too late to mm. turn their heads around and trying to see their bodies and weight and diets and food in a different way. And you said that you'd spoken to someone who said that is absolutely not the case. Totally. I mean,
2: look, There's a lot of unpicking to do for anyone who's entrenched in diet culture. And for anyone who's really grown up in this society, there is a lot of unpicking to do. And especially for someone in their 50s and 60s who has has had more exposure to it, it is going to be difficult to unpick and unpack. And it's not necessarily something that, you know, it's definitely not something that can happen overnight. It requires like work and time and effort, but it's totally possible. And the rewards are magical because you can free yourself finally you can free yourself to just be comfortable and in your own body feel free yourself of the shame of living in a body that you are feel embarrassed about and just yeah just just live free of these expectations it's that the you know as someone i don't want to you know be like oh my god i'm like You know, I've I've done the work and I'm like free of everything. Can I never have any problems? Because obviously that's not in the the case because I still live in a world that reflects these diet culture values back at me. So, but having got to a place where I do on the whole feel at peace with my body, I can tell you that it's like the best thing ever. It's just wonderful. It's so liberating and, and amazing. And it's just, it's worth doing. And it's at least worth it's at least worth trying rather than thinking, "Oh, it's too ingrained in me now. there's nothing I can do. It's definitely worth trying, and you, you you owe it to yourself, I guess, to try.
0: It's so weird when you hear a child talking about fat as a bad thing, and you think, "How did that happen? Where did they get that from? Yeah. And then you realize a viewpoint as viewpoint out. If you look at any cartoon or any kid's show yeah. from "The Little Mermaid, you know uh, you know uh, onwards, every baddie. Every mean, lazy, cruel baddie is fat, right? Yeah. The so all the all the stories early. they're being told, even however much we say to them, oh no, 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 you know, you're perfect. Yeah. Everywhere they look, fat is not just bad; it's mean, it's insidious, it's yeah. you know, it's it's dishonest. It's all number of moral values ascribed to it. Totally. Yeah.
2: I know. It's it's. It's so sinister, isn't it?
0: It's so sinister.
2: And the messages start so young in, for example, Disney and the cartoons and even Peppa Pig. I haven't really looked into that, but um, I know that I've I've had a few mums message me about that. I think the dad is fat and he's always like ridiculed for it, I think. And there are messages everywhere. And there are just there are so many messages that even probably we're so used to that we just don't even pick up on. But that is the overriding narrative that fat people are lazy made to be the brunt of the joke and that yeah and the evil that's particularly sinister the fact that they're, they're they're portrayed as evil and the villains in the disney films like that's particularly horrible and cruel
0: Hmm. and i suppose some parents would think oh well you know if i make sure that my child knows that fat is bad then i'm going to be freeing them from the danger of being fat and actually i would imagine the opposite is often true totally yeah
1: yeah that's the theme for this isn't it the opposite is basically true
2: right isn't the it the opposite like, is true yeah
0: forget so everything you yes learned. yeah forget everything yeah you learned. i mean it sounds almost like a fun project <laughs> <laughs> um Alex thank you so much for coming on and um oh. uh, you are not a before picture is out now it's full of it's bulletproof it's full of research it's full of wisdom it's also a sort of it's sort of a sort of furious howl into the void which is always brilliant <laughs> and um and huge congratulations and please come back and talk to us soon and also please follow Alex on Instagram because I it's one of my favorite Instagram feeds oh
2: thank you guys so much for having me on i have absolutely loved talking to- you
1: both, thank you. Oh, thanks, Alex.
2: Thanks, bye.
1: Stay tuned for our conversation with Beja London's co founder and head of design, the sensational
0: Abby Miranda. So, Abby, why bras and knickers? Of all the things you could have done in the world, why bras and knickers? What was missing in the bra and knicker landscape that you felt you could fill?
3: So what's interesting about Beja's heritage story is our family business is lingerie manufacturing. So they've Mm. supplied the whole of the UK High Street, except for M&S, for the past (laughs) 40 years. So we have got a powerhouse of experienced, technical, creative, phenomenal women that have just made fantastic bras for all of these years. And from that, Beja has launched... And because we noticed there was definitely a spot in the market for a simple, modern, cool, streamlined look that we definitely thought was missing. Just a sort of a brand that was relative to what women were wearing on their outerwear, which was a mm. bit more cooler, more like less
0: fussy, and just, yeah, a bit more dynamic. You've taken away, we have to choose between enormous and flesh coloured, and you know lacy dental floss
3: exactly we want to be special but not for special occasions that's our go-to point of reference because that just feels a bit old-fashioned now like all of the fashion editors on the front row they were wearing trainers now like we're not mm. teetering around in our stilettos anymore and we need underwear that sort of reflects that modern ethos
0: I spend a disproportionate amount of my time thinking about bras <laughs> and I found it historically incredibly hard to find mm. bras that fit and that will make my boobs just, just keep them in one place and just make them behave in a sort of not-too-ruthless, you know, industrial way. So it, it, it's a shame that I've always had to um, choose... Co- comfort has always aligned with sort of slightly hating myself because it's been so ugly. Yeah, fun point. And it's weird how recently that has opened up for us all? Because underwear's really emotional, isn't
3: it? Oh, honestly, it really is. Like, it's so intimate. She, when we're in the changing room with our with a customer, like, she's basically naked. She couldn't be any more vulnerable. And to be part of that experience and watching her then admire herself and see positives, which always happens when she puts on a beige bra and looks in the reflection, like, guaranteed she's going to enjoy her reflection. And it's just the most healing, wonderful place to be. It's such an amazing industry because of that. And like at every age as well, we get like older women in their 70s coming in and it just makes me feel actually excited about getting older because we're bloody beautiful. like We really are. And there's something beautiful in
0: every single woman. You just have to help her find it. Particularly when we've all been educated to hate everything about our bodies, you know, practically from birth. I know
3: that, but I feel like this is, we are now rebelling from that era, that Hello Boys era. Beja is here to rectify that damage because that's the era I grew up in. And and I mean, I've had always had quite a good body image just because growing up around mum's business (laughs) and seeing so much nakedness and seeing it just... It wasn't a sexualized place, even though the product was really sexy. It was actually just women creating and having a really great time. But for other women, my yeah, we do suffer with those sort of unconfidence and comparison because we only saw one type of woman. Nowadays, we get
0: a nice spectrum. I think we believed that only one type of woman was acceptable; that there was only one fit for human consumption, and nine times out of ten we weren't that. Yeah, and you had to blow-dry
1: Yeah, I think it's really important to spend lots of time with lots of naked women. Oh. I know that sounds like mad, but I can see exactly... It's like why you're you would cold have a, swimming in. Yes, I'm exactly. Really when agreeing. I go to the ponds and you see every single shape and, and every single combination, you realise that there isn't it isn't a kind of conspiracy against you that there isn't this mythic kind of, you know, Stepford wife movement of women out there looking exactly the same. We're all completely built, you know, differently. And so one that explains why sometimes in Zara you have a nervous breakdown because this doesn't fit or whatever, because everything, you know, there is no homogeny. And then the other thing is, is that is that, you know, stop punishing yourself and enjoy the things that you want to enjoy and
0: find find things that make you happy. It's fascinating getting an opportunity to actually look at other women's bodies in a totally yes. sort of democratic, admiring way and just think, wow, all I the know,
3: time. it's like, that's what happens at our photo shoots because we use our community, we use our mates, everyone gets roped in for the shoots and like, the energy just changes and everyone is just comp- so lifted because you can see, seeing another woman feeling herself, enjoying herself, who's way bigger or way slim or got much bigger boobs or much smaller boobs than you, but like you compare yourself in a positive way rather than a negative way, which is just fantastic. You're like, well, she's got her bums way bigger than mine and she looks fantastic. I'd love to have a body like that. Yeah, that's there's room for the, all of us. That's the... I don't know, like, how can we spread this message? Because it's, like you say, like, hanging out with other women is the only
0: way that we can do it. We should have a naked in. Yes. And naked in. When I think of all the money that I've spent on bras over the last thirty years, and I've definitely thrown away more than I've kept. Because also the funny thing about most bras, you have to wear them for a little while. Yeah. I mean, you put you you put them on in a changing room and you give yourself ten seconds because it's strip lit and you see yourself from every angle and you're probably in tears. <laughs> but really, you should actually mooch around for a few minutes to see how they settle yeah. on your body. I think, don't you? Which is why your online offering is so good.
3: Yeah, that's really good. The online bra fitting service is our in a baby um that we continue with and it's fantastic just because some women are shy. Like, she doesn't want, really want to go into a changing room. That, so it's, we can service. Oh, or well, she might. She, oh, you get
0: so sweaty. You know. It's like jeans, guys. You've got to be in the mood. You take your clothes off. Yeah. You're hot. You're probably distressed. You're having to ask for another size. It's only occurred to me recently that if I buy a bra online, I am allowed to buy two sizes yeah, yeah, yeah. to see which one fits and Th- send one back.
3: That's really common for us.
0: Yeah. And also, a bra has to tick all these boxes, doesn't it? It has to mean that you enjoy looking at yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror that someone else who you may or may not want to have sex with is going to enjoy looking yeah. at you. And then it also has to work under your clothes. And that silhouette thing, silhouette's yes. such a good sort of old-fashioned schmutter word, isn't it? But it has to work with whatever you put on on top of it. And I need all different, all different cuts of bras to go with all different cuts of clothes because of the large bosoms.
3: But it'll make you, it makes your wardrobe work better for you, it makes your clothes look better if you've got a good fitting bra. And because the customer will tend to sort of come in in a bra that's... Maybe too small. So she's a double F and she's wearing a double D. So she's overflowing. It's the wires digging in. She's splurging all over the place. She's got a T-shirt on top and feels like all uh, lumpy. So she feels like fat and not quite right and a bit like oh like she doesn't work like it's not working and like mm. her clothes look crap and she's depressed put her in a 32 double f silhouette smooth wires in the right place completely game changer for her she'll walk out like completely different woman because it, if you're wearing the right size then the bra's working for you and it's like It's complementing the body you have now rather than the body that you
0: want, which is maybe a double D cup and not a double F. you are not a before picture. And also, you know, some people pick their noses. I pick my bra. I'm forever hoisting in the middle of meetings, in the middle of dinners, hoiking my (laughs) boobs around because they've just migrated within a bra that presumably doesn't fit properly because presumably that shouldn't happen.
3: No, 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 your
0: bra shouldn't be migrating.
3: Well, it's off it goes it, to
0: australia for a better life <laughs> but bras are funny because they are both emotional and political aren't they yes you know i remember being told when i was sort of 14 that you, you should never wear a black brand or a white shirt because you know people would think you were fast and loose <laughs> you know, these men yeah. like, never wear navy with black oh, but that God. was yeah. very much like you know then men will think you're easy i mean so mad so for, mad the narrative we were brought up with
3: but like it, but even, like, the things that our cu- uh, uh, customers will come into the change room and say, i will be like, oh, I've got, you know, so- uh, we- my family, we've all got, like, big knees. Grandma was famous for her big knees. I was like, I bet it was one little prick in primary school that called the grandma fat knees. And it's had this, like, generational <laughs> impact on this That's family. That's her legacy, grandma big knees. It's
0: so <laughs> outrageous. What's it like working with your sister? Fantastic. I should say it's a sister
3: sister team, Asia. We are, yeah, sister founders. I wouldn't be able to do it with anyone else and I wouldn't be able to do it alone. Like the emails that we have to write and the, you know, the stuff that we have to go through, being able to do it together is bearable. Like I couldn't be dealing with what we have to deal with on my own. Like we, I mean, it does cross over into our, you know, home time and that sort of thing, but it works because we're just so passionate and believe in it and it's, it's so exciting, but it's amazing and to get together. you can say to your sister,
0: you've always been a massive dick, and uh, they yeah. get over that. Yeah. Whereas if it wasn't your sister, you might be in slightly sort of treacherous waters with that.
3: And um, we've got really good, like, different skills and a good balance to each other. And also, we'll sort of pass the baton of who's having a breakdown and between us <laughs> and sort of pull each other out of it. So one day it will be like, literally day to day, she's like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'm like, it's not. Next day, she's like, oh my God. I'm like, it's fine, don't worry.
1: Everyone needs a breakdown baton yeah. to pass. You I can't have like... a
3: breakdown at the same time. Absolutely no, not. That. Emily
0: and I—I I can remember one day since we've been working together, we had a breakdown at the same time. <laughs> it was a Friday, and we usually we passed the breakdown as we passed the asshole back, yeah. and, back yeah. and forth. And we were having simultaneous breakdowns, and absolutely nothing got done. We just <laughs> no, sat there and nothing. stared at the wall.
1: We did, and then yeah. and then sort of and then went. I think we should
0: just call this. Just write this one off, And then went to bed, basically. (laughs) (laughs) We might even go to bed, like, together. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sponsoring the podcast. And um, we'd advise everybody to go and have a look at Beja, because, as I said, sit up straighter, feel a bit sexier, and not have, if you have big boobs like me, or if you hate uncomfortable bras like Emily, not to have it playing on your mind all the time. Totally. Um, so, Abby, thank
3: you for coming to see us and I hope we talk to you again. Lovely to meet you guys. Thank you Thanks so much. Abby. Bye. Oh, bye.
0: This podcast was brought to you by Beja London. Bras for all the lives you lead and all the women you are.
1: You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Middlet. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe.